Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to hey. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. Fade out there, huh? Here's the billboard. Have you ever heard of a billboard? We're going to start using billboards. This program is brought to you by the Humble Farmer Bed and Breakfast. 
If you'd like to visit us on the coast of Maine, our website is thehumblefarmer.com slash B-A-B. B as in boy, A-B. If the Humble Farmer radio show airs in New York City, there's a chance that one or two new cosmopolitan friends might drop in for an overnight in our bed and breakfast in beautiful downtown St. George, Maine, and I enthusiastically outlined the possibilities to my wife, Masha, the almost perfect woman. But listen to this. She was lukewarm at best when considering this bright new economic future. My wife said she couldn't run a bed and breakfast and work on the island too. Whereupon, I stuck out my chest and announced that I would be able to run the entire bed and breakfast operation on my own. She said, how many people do you suppose would return after a breakfast of bread and a handful of grapes? Such a charming manner, sweet and shy, little old bonnet set in place, and a smile on your face. You're a perfect picture in your lavender and lace. A little bit of business here, a little bit of business there. Bet that you've been window shopping all around the square. Little old lady, time for tea. Here's a kiss, two or three. You're just like that little old lady I hold dear to me.
here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you again for listening. One morning, I think I read in the Encyclopedia Britannica that around 270 people were kidnapped for ransom in 1932 or so because kidnapping was safer than robbing banks. It said that when a death penalty was instituted by the federal government for crossing state lines, kidnapping was pretty well stamped out. That's what it said. The book I read, the encyclopedia I read, was probably 40 or so years old, and I wondered if kidnapping had been stamped out by instituting a death penalty, so I googled. On the page I found there's a graph that shows you that as you get older, your chances of being kidnapped drop. According to the graph, my chances of being kidnapped dropped to 0% 19 years ago. (laughs) Old people are not that hot a commodity. Boxer, the old horse, could at least be carted off and sold to a glue factory. Tell me, what would you do if you found this note on your front lawn. If you want to see your mother-in-law again, put $50 in a brown bag and leave it in Elliot Pryor's egg box on the humble farmer's front lawn. (laughs) Write them back. We'll give you $50 if you keep them.
Thank you for listening to the Humble Farmer here on your favorite radio station where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. I'm thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And speaking of kidnappers, the bottom line when it comes to kidnapping is you can probably stay out of trouble almost anywhere in the world if you know what you're doing. But what tourist knows where he is or what he's doing? While speaking at a convention in the Midwest, I remember being viewed with amazement when a doorman, or maybe it was a policeman, learned from me that I had walked from the convention center to my hotel. It was, it was something you didn't do if you knew the neighborhood. And just this week, a man from Brazil told me about a pilot friend of his who was kidnapped and forced to fly for drug dealers. Now, that pilot certainly knew where he was and what he was doing, but because he was such a valuable catch, they still got him. My wife, Marsha, the almost perfect woman, has a friend in Central America who was kidnapped. He was an Italian, and he talked his way out of it. Now, this man was high up in the company, and he could have been even higher, but he refused a promotion in his company because, listen to this, Marsha's friend refused a promotion in his company because it would have mandated that he hire full-time armed guards to protect himself and his family from kidnappers. You know, it's a lot less complicated to live on the coast of Maine, raise cows, and sell rhubarb. Maybe I'll try, and maybe 
Father Hines from 1928 or so. I read a web page entitled, listen to this, I read a web page entitled to How to Make Your Home Unattractive to Thieves. Be poor.
Scott Hamilton backed up by his old buddies from years ago. John Bunch, Chris Flory, Phil Flanagan, Chuck Riggs. Very solid rhythm there. They really pull it together, don't they? Chunk, 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 chunk. In a discussion of the best countries to visit if you want to be kidnapped, my Facebook friend Daniel says, I ain't going none of them places. Couldn't stand the rejection. <laughs> Think about this. Anyone who has ever been rejected when visiting a foreign country didn't bring enough money. This next tune is written by a very good friend of mine whom I played with for a long time, Jerry Mulligan. He dedicated this tune to uh, Jimmy Lyons, a West Coast disc jockey, called it A Line for Lions. Thank you. 
resolve that huh? thank you is it time yes it's time to remind you that you're listening to the humble farmer here on your favorite radio station with, a, with any luck at all you can hear me playing old fashioned music just for you every week at this time thank you again for listening I am the humble farmer at gmail.com love to hear from you you have heard oh did I say that was Chet Baker maybe I did no I remember the first time I saw Jerry Mulligan. Must have been in Rochester, New York, about 1957. Came to play a concert there. A lot of people in that concert. Ron Carter. Who else? Oh, there was a lot of people there. The Chuck Mangione. Anyway, you've you've heard that some people say any problem can be solved if you throw enough money at it, as in elections. If you want to win an election, you should expect to spend more money than your opponent. Now, because I know nothing about the chemistry of gardening, I use the same method. If something doesn't grow, I throw more cow nutrients at it. Here, here on the coast of Maine, as in Mark Twain's Black Forest, the size of a man's manure pile is a manifestation of his wealth and standing in the community. I use fresh manure. I don't have any, any uh, stacked aside or in piles. I get it right fresh from the cow. Go right out in the field, get a bucket of it whenever I need it. My asparagus looks sickly. Some of the plants are misshapen. I might have overpicked it last year. I've never fertilized it. So I believe I will go out and weed whack as close as I can without hitting it. You know, get down on my hands and knees and pull the grass and weeds away from the asparagus plant. Put some cow nutrients around each plant and put grass clippings on top of that. I've already got a small start at it. I did a little bit the other day. I packed rhubarb leaves around a few plants. Now this, think about this. Wouldn't this be a good project to film for my television show? There's nothing that draws an audience quicker than a cooking show or a show that promises to show you the most up-to-date methods of scientific gardening. Oh, I wish you were here to show me how to do it. You know about that stuff. Now, think about this. I could take television to a whole new level if I could get you to not only see but smell what I was filming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for smelling. Thank you. 
You might remember the story I wrote about a grandchild a few years ago. The grandchild was running about the home completely wild. She was maybe five years old then. The other grandchild, a little bigger, looked at me and said, Chocolate. Well, according to an article I just read, that story of the sugar high is right up there with Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. This was brought to mind one night when I read and fell asleep and read and fell asleep. I kept waking up and was still watching the clock and reading about researcher de Koch until past midnight. Something unheard of for me. But you might recall me telling you that the other day, after losing 35 pounds by not eating sweets and dropping down below 140 pounds, I decided, well, enough is enough. And I started to to eat sweets again. And the other night, after the Grange meeting, I ate my first cinnamon bun in nine years. And as I watched the numbers change on the clock that night, all I could think was that it was the sugar in that cinnamon bun. Now I know that's not true. So, what do you suppose? Do you suppose it? could have been the two-hour nap I took at noon, or, or the one I took at 5 p.m. a birdie sing so sweet so sweet the moment i fell for you i saw stars i heard an angel say wake up wake up your wonderful dreams come true a newborn feeling had me reeling i said to myself where am i it's all so hazy may sound crazy there wasn't a star in the sky still i saw stars I heard a birdie sing, so sweet, so sweet, the moment I fell for you.
humble farmer. Thank you for listening. Is it time? Almost. I might as well get it, get out of the way now and remind you that you're listening to the humble farmer on your favorite radio station where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. I'm thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. One morning, while thinning my beets, I noticed that although I planted only one beet seed about one and one-half inches away from the last beet seed in the row, many of the beets came up as twins. I tried very hard to only plant one seed so I wouldn't have to thin, but they came up two at a time. Now, my great-grandmother's twin sister, Elizabeth Hill, lived on the lot just south of me 150 years ago. Elizabeth was married to Ed Gilchrist, a brother to Lark, who lived in my house in Captain Albion, grandfather to Aunt Grace, who lived two houses down from me, and another brother, Isaiah, who lived one house to the north of me. Anyway, my, my sister also had twin boys. So my question was, when the moon is right, can thrust in one seed deep into rich, fertile soil produce two beets? I read on Google, Thinning is necessary as you may get more than one seedling out of each seed. There it is right there. How did we live before Google? Thin when they reach about two inches high by pinching them off. Pulling them out of the ground may disturb the close surrounding roots of nearby seedlings. Well, I thinned in the morning and they were only about half an inch high, so I don't think I disturbed any roots. And I pulled them out and did not pinch them off. Like one of my cow friends who receives a tremendous wallop when he puts his wet nose on the electric fence, I get to tell you this, I have an aversion to pinching. I remember what happened to me the last time I did it. Thank you. 
Scott Hamilton. I'm just looking online to see when he was born. I didn't think to do it quick enough, so I missed it. Anyway, uh, let me see, make sure I got the next tune queued up here for you, Hoagie Carmichael. Hugging and Chalking. Dick Cash used to sing that. Can you help me with this? Now I'm going to try and sing this song I'm working on. I need help with the lyrics. If you got your pencil ready, well, you might give me some more lyrics to the song. Let me see if I can get it right. I'm still thinking in the key of I Remember You. How are things in Danamora? Are the walls still made of paper there? I got a gal who's mighty sweet, big blue eyes and tiny feet. Her name is Rosabelle McGee, and she tips the scales at 303-O-G. But ain't it grand to have a gal so big and fat that when you go to hug her, you don't know where you're at. You have to take a piece of chalk in your hand and hug a ways and chalk a mark to see where you began one day. I was a hugging and a chalking and a chalking and a hugging away. When I met another fellow with some chalk in his hand, a coming around the other way over the mountain, a coming around the other way. 
Nobody ever said I'm weak My bones don't ache, my joints don't creak But I grow pale and I get limp Every time I see my baby blimp Oh gee, but ain't it grand to have a gal so big and fat That when you go to hug her You don't know where you're at You have to take a piece of chalk in your hand And hug a bit and chalk a mark to see where you began One day I was a hugging and a chalking and a begging her to be my bride. When I met another fellow with some chalk in his hand, a coming around the other side. Over the mountain, a coming around the other side. She's a my wide. Chalking up the mark down in Yellowstone Park. When I met another fellow with some chalk in his hand. Are coming around the other side Over the mountain Over the great divide Hoggy, hugging and chalking I looked up Scott Hamilton He was 28 years old or so when he recorded the things we're playing for you right now Born in 1954 My goodness, that makes him... <laughs> year after I got out of high school. It was a dark and stormy night. You are familiar with the Bulwell-Lytton Award. A visit to the Bulwell-Lytton webpage will do as much for you as a walk on the beach on a sunny day. Now listen. Listen to this description of the Bulwell-Lytton contest that is on that webpage I read. We're talking here, of course, about a contest on bad writing to see who can write the worst introductory sentence to a novel. Now, I'm, I'm going to quote what I read on that page. made me laugh. The contestant who manages to exceed it over all others receives $250 and the proud knowledge that he or she has constructed a written passage so atrocious that it has been proven to cause blindness in lab mice. Thank you. 
I guess I'll just have to thank you for listening. With any luck at all, I'll be back here next week right here on your favorite station, waiting for you. Mm-hmm.